coming to this platform this morning, Dr. Ryan Darrow. Amen. You're going to turn in the Bible with me this morning to Romans chapter 12. And service starts in two minutes in Kansas City. So there's a good chance I'm going to get a bunch of texts and questions. Pastor, where are you? I'm looking all around the building, can't find you. And I'll have to maybe just real quick. And So can I just do that if I need to? No, maybe. I don't know. I've been a pastor in Kansas City 11 years, lead pastor there, my wife and I. And so enjoy our staff. Love them so very much. Everybody we get the opportunity to serve in the kingdom with. And it's just like being at home a little bit, just down here in Florida with you. We've enjoyed our time. We're here at the West, uh, West Florida Assembly of God Network uh, uh, Fellowship this last year. And, and we're standing right over here. And Pastor Tommy came up to me after. He said, I'd like to just talk to you about coming back maybe on a Sunday and uh, sharing some time with us. And so that's why we're here. We received that invitation. My wife and I have been able to come down and spend some time with you. And so if you'll take a moment, your left, my right, I'm going to introduce her to you. She's the better half. Uh, she really should get all the congratulatory, anything you can give her this morning. This woman's put up with me for 29 years. There, in a moment, we'll be rousing applause for that. But for 29 years, since age 15, we met on a Sunday morning at church, and her dad was elected the new superintendent. I thought that meant of schools, because I was a heathen. I didn't know anything about church, but I kind of grew up in it, but didn't really, but kind of did, but did. But, you know, I was 15 years old, and then I met her. And a great revival took place in my heart. And I started coming to church every Sunday. And I found out we had church on Sunday nights, too. Started showing up because she was there. And then Wednesdays, of course. But uh, my wife, Crystal, there, she'll just wave her stand. Do you want to stay there, one? But amen. There she is. Been together uh, 29 years, married 24. We have three boys. And they're eating us out of house and home and shed and everything else. We, I don't drink milk at all. I know that sounds weird, but I tell you that because we average a gallon and a half of milk in our house a day. That's excluding me. That's the three boys. They are 20 years old, uh, 17, almost 18. That's an official age. He no longer even says 17. He just says almost 18. I thought he was on the guitar this morning because I looked up and I saw that beautiful hair and it reminded me of Colin. That same length, right? And then our youngest is 14. And I know that they're all home right now watching online, watching their dad right now. No, I'm kidding. They're in church, okay? They're worshiping Jesus this morning. But they'll go back this next week and they'll watch. No, they won't. They've heard all of this stuff for years. Uh, you're in Romans chapter 12 this morning, and I just want to say thank you, of course, to Pastor Tommy and to Kim as well. It's been great to get to know them and to know uh, Pastor, Ty you, uh, Pastor, Pastor Tommy and Liz I don't know who I'm putting together here who's married. Pastor Phil and Kim. Well, that was awkward for just a second. It's like when I got up on my very first Sunday. After, we were out in Arizona for eight and a half years, staff pastors. I'm lead pastor, brand new, of Overland Park First Assembly of God Church. Follow with me. I get up on my first Sunday morning, suit and tie, ready to go, and I said, God bless you. Good morning. Welcome to Red Mountain Christian Center. So good to see you today. And I just stopped and everybody's big eyes and I looked at him and I just went, ah! I just laughed out loud. I said, whoa, that's like saying your old girlfriend's named your new girlfriend, isn't it? <laughs> they took it in stride. We've, we've grown together over the last 11 years and it's been such a joy. Paul urges his audience, follow with me, Romans chapter 12, uh, with this life-changing wisdom. Have you ever talked to a therapist? you ever talked to a social worker? If they are Christian kind of in their life's orientation, if their worldview is that of a believer, here's what they'll say. And this is kind of anybody that goes through graduate studies in the, in the science of the, of the change of behavior uh, kind of comes to, and I'll talk about it here in a little bit, kind of comes to this end, if you will. Romans chapter 12 tells us this. Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, and of course he's speaking to the church because he said brothers and sisters here. He says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So don't conform to the patterns of this world. Say the word patterns with me. Don't conform anymore to the what? To the patterns of this world, but be what? Transformed by the changing of your behaviors, so that you, by the renewing of your mind, so then you'll be able to attest and prove what the will of God is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
I think it's, it's good from time to time. All of us should kind of recalibrate. We stop, we pause, we take inventory of our minds, our hearts, and we think about really how we process things, what we've prioritized in the back, uh, in, the, in the past, and, and really maybe what's, uh, how we've coped with stress, maybe how we've dealt with things in the past and how we're going to do it different in the future. And I'll tell you, I don't, I don't speak on behalf of the Assemblies of God. I don't. But I'm privileged to serve on the uh, National Mental Health Care Committee at the direction and the appointment of our Executive Presbytery because when our, uh, our General Superintendent, Doug Clay, was elected a few years ago, it is one of the very first actions that he took. And this is a man who is born and bred and loves the Assemblies of God and loves our history and our heritage. And he says that we take nothing from uh, the, our forefathers that have gone before us and have paved a road with blood, sweat, tears, and prayers. He said, but it's just something that we need to focus on. And it's something, and even Brother George Wood came along and just put his hand out of blessing over all of that and, and is praying for and said that to our committee. And so I'm Balaam's donkey amongst my peers, friends. Uh, but I've had the opportunity for the last two and a half years to serve our fellowship, all 36,000 ministers and all the adherents as well, as well um, in mental health care to assure that, that proper mental health care and, and function and so forth is being reached all the way down. We, we're, we're doing a, a tremendous work there and trying our very best to really normalize what it, what it means to live with this flesh that we wear on and, and, and really not to ignore that any, any longer. And, and, uh, and, and I grew up in a generation, and, and even my, my wife's mom and dad, Lord, loved them. They're in their late 80s. I've had tremendous amount of conversation over the years with them about this and they just said well, it's just something that we just never talked about you know it's something would come up and you just you just prayed about it. you just never talked to anybody and and you talk about the history of mental health and how all that works historically this is something that has changed culturally as well friends this wasn't just in the church this is culturally around the world. I mean, you just culturally around America, somebody was, uh, had a mental health issue or maybe it was depression or, or post-traumatic stress or something of this nature. And this is back in the 30s and 40s. And you'd go home to mom and dad, say, mom and dad, I, I feel like I'm depressed. And they'd say, well, that's okay. Well, go grab that plow, go out back. We got to survive. And it was just culturally, it was just a different time. I, I do an entire section on this and the history of psychology in my intro to psych class at the college where I've taught the last, well, 10 years now, but I've been teaching college about 15 years now. And it is interesting how the ebb and flow culturally reaches all the way down into the family and affects us as well. And, and so when we say, oh, the church doesn't have a good history, well, you know what, culturally, we really don't have a great history in the United States, at least, we don't have a great history, and that's something that is changed, and it's something that's changing in the church, and it's something that Doug Clay, the Executive Presbytery, and the Assemblies of God as a whole is really taking a purposeful shift in, all right, to empower you all the way down to a two-year-old who grows up. Wouldn't it be just beautiful and wonderful by the time she's 17, 18 years old that that young lady is as uh, emotionally mature, as, as psychologically healthy as she is spiritually fit and spiritually, you know, Bible quiz and everything. And it's, and it's just part of her natural course of development in the church. How beautiful is that? Amen? That she's developing a vocabulary of emotion and understanding of self and so forth, but not to elevate or put self on a pedestal. We put Jesus on the throne of our hearts and lives. Amen? But just to have a clear understanding of what that means, no longer kind of putting it back in the corner of the room and somewhat ignoring it. And Paul said, we get in caught in these patterns. We get, all of us get caught up in patterns of life. And he says, I want you to change these patterns by the renewing of your mind. And so from time to time, we all do this. It's, I do it multiple times a week in therapy. I have about 18,000 clinical hours under my belt as a therapist over the last 17, 18 years now. And met with a couple of folks. That wasn't just one or two people, all right. But that's spread out amongst a lot of people. But I've had a lot of experience in that. And it's, it's a really beautiful process to watch people step through this. And, and I'm not going to ask you, but if, but if I ask you to raise your hand today, oh, who's been, who's been in therapy before? I mean, some of you would just boldly put up your hand, yes, and it helped change my life. And some of you go, yeah, it was a little weird. And some of you go, I didn't like it. And there's a whole spectrum when it comes to that. But all of us in our lives pause from time to time and say, is what I'm doing working? Well, we do it in our parenting. We do it in our exercise programs right? We do it. Do I like this car anymore? Do I need something different? Does some change need to take place? And all of these are good for the believer. 
That pause, that purposeful recalibration of our worldview must mean that we are conforming everything, all of this, our minds, our actions, everything, the things that we think, really even feel, and our actions all have to be filtered through Scripture and conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Amen? So I want to ask you today to kind of uh, pause your life with me, and we're going to just recalibrate our worldview a little bit, and we're going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you five what are called mental health defaults. These are kind of the go-tos. These are the stub your toe of life, just kind of the natural, you know, th- this is what we're going to, all right? And then we're going to go, t- and they're kind of the, we're going to call them the bad news, all right? But then we're going to have twice as much good news today, so I'm going to give you ten ways that we can renew our minds, all right? And this is good for me. I love to break out of my own, even my own series. I've been preaching the book of Luke and Acts, and we're five and a half years in, so it's good now and, you know, now and again. So if you think, now if you fuss now and again, because uh, Pastor Phil's preaching too long of a series, it has been six weeks. We've been in Philippians chapter two. If you want to move to Kansas City, we've been in Luke and Acts for five and a half years, all right? Stop fussing, all right? I love sermon series. So here we are this morning, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to ask you to kind of join me as we ask the Lord to renew our minds and to really to kind of recalibrate all the things that we're thinking and doing. Number one, all right, you encounter, uh, so we embark on this journey for the next few minutes. Some of you are going to hear some familiar phrases, some customary defaults, some things that you're kind of, you common defense mechanisms that you've employed throughout your life, and it might get a little personal to you, and you might think, did pastor tell them about me? (laughs) And no, he did not. Why do we know that? This is one of my absolute favorite scriptures. One of the first things I do in therapy almost exclusively is this. Give an excuse, no sir. Right? Explain it away, no ma'am. But there is something beautiful about understanding or somewhat normalizing where a person is, all right? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation has seized you except that which is what? That's common to man. Anybody ever think they made up the world's worst problem? Right? It's exclusive to me. I'll tell you what, the exclusivity of some of our problems sometimes causes us to feel isolated. And in our isolation, right, we turn away from the solution because we think it's an impossibility. There's no way that God could reach me. And, and, and you know, it, sometimes the guilt gets heaped on us. That's why the Bible says that the enemy is the what? He's the, say it with me, the enemy is the encourager of the brother, right? That's what the Bible tells us, the enemy of our souls. He's our encourager. Of course not. The Bible says he is the accuser. He comes along, he goes, guess what? You're not good enough. And really the only retort to that is, yeah, I know. (laughs) But Jesus is, amen? He's our conqueror. He is the one. And so we turn our hearts towards him, all right? So we're going to embark on this journey, and we're going to be encouraged this morning. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you, has seized you, except that which is common to man. Here's the good news. God won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, your abilities, but with the temptation, he'll provide a way of escape that you might be able to endure. So what comes naturally to humans? What is the stub your toe, middle of the night? I tell you, I I say as a pastor all the time, you step on a Lego at 2 o'clock in the morning, right? That's when what's in there comes out, right? There's no stopping it. You're walking to the baby's room, get to feed the baby, and you step on a Lego or you stub your toe, friend, whatever is in the heart, in that moment is what comes out, okay? And oftentimes in, in, in times of stress, these are kind of the natural mental health defaults. And so normalizing a little bit, I want you to just kind of take some inventory and some of you are going to go, yeah, I do that a little bit. Yes, I've been there. And for some of you, this is going to be heavy. And if it's a heavy moment, I want to encourage you to turn to your, your pastors and your staff afterwards and want to make myself available, my wife to give you a hug if you need one, because this can be the word... It, it holds a little bit more meaning than it should, but it might be a little bit even triggering. How many of you know what I'm saying when I say that? It can be, and that's an okay word. If it's something in your heart today that just, it puts an extra heavy burden on you today. Nobody wants you to walk out of this room with a little bit of heavy burden on you. That's why I'm going to give you five kind of mental health defaults, and then we're going to focus on the ten renewing your minds. And hopefully spark something in this morning 
that carries over into next week and next month. And I would love to see that, that maybe through this, that something's just the Lord has brought you to a season of deliverance. And you find a, a, a mental health professional that, that can help you, can walk through some stuff. You can find a pastor that can journey with you in discipleship and help you with some stuff. All right? You say amen this morning? So here you go. Here's number one. This is kind of our five, our five major mental health defaults. Number one is isolation in the face of conflict. Isolation in times of conflict. Now, this is a little bit me, and I see this a lot in therapy. People will, well, you know, it's been weeks since they've even talked or engaged with one another, or there's some uh, disconnect in the family or whatnot. But oftentimes, in, in, in moments of stress or seasons of stress, we distance ourselves from others. As a very common defense mechanism. You hear a gunshot, it's a reflex. God forbid a moment like that, but you hear a loud noise and it's a reflex. We guard, you know, we guard even our internal organs. Well, what was that, right? You hear a loud noise, you hear a threatening sound, your brain does a threat analysis and you don't even realize how fast it's happening and you're vetting all of these threats and you can hear a sound and noise and typically your natural reaction even as a, you could say a trained, and there's probably quite a few in the room, a trained warrior, soldier, men and women here this morning. Even, even you trained soldiers, men and women, your natural reflex isn't to you know, spread eagle and dive on top of, uh, of a loved one. Now, you would do that a lot quicker than the next person, but a loud noise comes, and the Lord has put within our uh, kind of autonomic functions of our nervous systems. You don't even have to think about it. It's a part of your nervous system called your your autonomic functions, or uh, there's somatic, there's purposeful motions that you're doing. That's karate class. Your autonomic functions, that's digesting the candy bar during during karate class, right? And you don't even have to think about digesting that karate or that karate bar. You don't even have to think about <laughs> just go with it. That karate bar at all, right? You just eat it, and it just happens. And there's it's, it's the, in the same way, stress comes along, and sometimes we just isolate. It's just kind of a natural default, and we back up and. We have a tendency to, to isolate in times of stress. How many could say, hey, man, you just want to testify. You say, that's kind of me. That's my natural default. I tend to kind of just shut down a little bit, kind of withdrawal a little bit. I call it contemplating. <laughs> Everybody else calls it, you know, she just shut down. We don't know, but absolutely. Number two, and I'll move quickly here, is this anxiety when overwhelmed. How many get just a little anxious from time to time? You get a little anxious. Some of us don't naturally. Some of us get very uh, anxious very naturally. So you have a dear friend that maybe you reach out, and I recently learned a, a phrase, they leave you on red. Thank you. All right. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even know what it meant. I went, what? Like R-E-D, they left you red? What does that even mean? They leave you on red, R-E-A-D. Like they read your text, and they didn't reply. And you're like, oh, So you know, they know what you said, but they didn't say anything. And that's like disrespectful, right, young people? It's disrespectful. I'm 45 years old. Help me out. It's disrespectful to leave someone on red, right? <clears throat> okay. So it's a dear friend. You text them, and they haven't, they haven't messaged you back in weeks, and they left you on red for like 10 days, and then all of a sudden, you know, you, you text them again, and there's nothing. They leave you on red multiple times. And then you get that one text from it, and all it says is, hey, we need to talk. Wait for it. Next week. How many are you going to just vomit for the next week? That's the worst week of your life. I can't stand that. And I, for years, have said this. If anybody comes up to me, oh, I just need to talk to you. Can we talk? I'd just love to have a conversation. Would you meet with me next week? I go, I'll meet with you immediately. Right now, I was going to go to lunch with my grandma. I haven't seen her in four years. I'll go with you because I can't, I can't take it. I can't take that week. How many are with me? Oh, it drives me nuts. I absolutely can't. Oh, and anxiety is a very natural byproduct, just living life and having a relationship happen all around us all the time. Top five, write these down, anxiety-producing issues. These are cultural. We won't go into that, but these are cultural. These are Western 21st, typically what we call first world American problems, but here they are. There are problems. We need to deal with them. Top five anxiety producing issues. And if we had time this morning, I'd have you shout out some guesses. We were guessing a little bit yesterday and having a little interaction and fun, but here are the top five anxiety producing issues. And in no particular order here, but these are, ready? Work dissatisfaction and stress at work. 
How many just, I, typically people might shout amen at that, but let me know what I'm talking about. Work dissatisfaction. I remember graduate school taking a class on, on career and guidance counseling, and I thought, oh, it's going to be so boring. And it was probably one of my top five favorite classes. Really enjoyed it. Because you think about how much time people spend in their vocations and how little time often that we spend um, conversing about that or talking or considering the stressors that, that, that they cause in a person's life. Work's a big one. And so I'll ask people often, how, how, are you, how are you satisfied at work? Tell me about your satisfaction level, zero to 10. And they go, oh, I hate my job. Hate my boss. Hate my parking spot. It rains every day. This cloud follows me from my house to my job and follows me as I'm walking in. It just rains on me. It's the worst experience ever. And I go, hmm. And I wonder why you're miserable in your marriage. Hmm. Okay. It's just something to consider. Work's a big one. How about conflict? Just conflict. General conflict. Generally speaking, people don't like conflict. If you like conflict, that's odd. It is. It is. Some of you go, oh, I really like it. Okay. But past conflict, things that haven't been resolved, can cause a tremendous amount of anxiety. Some of you have fights with family members that you haven't had resolved in years. And you just, you left them on red. They left you on red. And you haven't resolved it. And it just eats away at you daily. And you wonder, I wonder if she really does hate me. I wonder if he really doesn't want to be family with me anymore or whatnot. So past, present, even upcoming conflict thinks these are what cause anxiety. Number three, financial concerns. We could say, man, there's been lean times and, and easy times, but financial concerns are big. I'm going to leave this next one for the last. You ready? But how about number four, family stress. That makes sense to you. Just raising kids, that can be difficult. They say having kids like your heart jumping out of your chest, growing legs, and running around. <laughs> we got three of those. And our oldest, our oldest, just this last week, enlisted in the Air Force. Amen. Amen. Very proud, yeah. Very, very proud. And even message him, hey, bud, you know how you feeling? Because he enlisted the day of, um, of the invasion. I, uh, yeah, and I said, how you feeling about it? Woke up to the news this morning. He goes, I said, do you still want to do this? And he said, yeah, kind of even more now. Mm. And then I saw a T-shirt last night on Amazon, and I was ruined because it said, I used to protect him. Now he protects me. And I'm like, oh. <gasps> I'm bawling, I'm crying, I'm laying about like, look at this shirt. She's like, don't show me that stuff. <laughs> Anxiety producing issues. Here you go. You ready for the last one? Caffeine intake, poor sleep habits, bad diet. Uh-oh, he's preaching to me now. <laughs> Said the guy who stuck down three coffees before he preached, all right? But this can cause, in a general, it can cause anxiety. There's a correlation between bad diet, poor sleep, and so forth. And that's something that we talk about in therapy often. How you're sleeping, how you, how you eat, and what's your caffeine intake. Somebody's worried about anxiety. So a person lives in this, in this state of, of heightened anxiety for a long period of time. A condition, adrenaline fatigue kicks in, and nothing, they have nothing left to give. You have, you're living on the razor's edge of life no longer, and then bam, number three hits. Depression in the face of opposition specifically, but depression. Very, very common. Yeah, a lot of folks deal with this, struggle with this. All right, these are kind of the natural, this is part of our flesh. This is our fleshly defaults. So depression in the face of opposition. In the Psalms, David writes of his anguish. David writes of his loneliness, his fear of the enemy, his heart cry over sin, the guilt that he struggled with because of his sin. We also see his downward slump and the loss of his son, 2 Samuel chapter 12, and in other places, David's honesty with his own weaknesses give us hope to who we are to, today and how we struggle. Psalm 38, he says this, my guilt has, has slightly uh, annoyed me. <laughs> he talks about it like a wave. That's the picture that he's giving. He says, my guilt has overwhelmed me. It's too much. It's like a burden that's too heavy to bear. Psalm 42, he laments, and he asks an internal question. This is kind of a rhetorical question. He's, he's lamenting in the psalm, Psalm 42. He says, and it's almost like looking down at his own heart. He says, why are you downcast, my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? You ever talk to yourself? Try to give yourself a pep talk. This is almost like David's little pep talk. He's like, put your hope in God. He's never failed you. 
Put your hope in, in your God and your Savior. Elijah was discouraged and weary. He was afraid. Jonah was hungry, angry, wanted to run away. Job suffered great loss, devastation, physical illness. Moses was grieved over the sin of his people. Jeremiah wrestled with loneliness and feelings of defeat and insecurity. And even Jesus was deeply anguished over what lay before him on the cross. 2,000 people surveyed Protestant uh, leaders. Uh, research found this. 75% of Christians reported feeling extremely or highly stressed. Extremely or highly stressed. That's high. 75% evangelicals. A lot of pastors, here's another statistic, specifically about pastors. Pastors, they said, work between 55, 90% work between 50 and 75 hours a week. We need to do a better job as leaders, as pastors, giving a better example to our people. Amen? I heard about a pastor here being forced to, like this, forced to, to take a sabbatical and plan that out. And I said, oh, I'm so proud. Thank you. What a healthy thing to do. Amen? Amen. As we're moving along here today, I got 70%, one last stat for you, 70% of evangelical Christians at one time or another uh, report fighting some level of depression, some extreme depression, really, really deep depression, and some would say light depression, but they self-report about 70% of evangelicals at one time or another that they fight depression sometime over the last two years. Number four is this, insomnia in seasons of busy. Insomnia, it's a problem. It is. And it's not even, it's not a big of a problem as, as you think it is until you realize how big a problem it really is. How many at one time or another through a stretch in your life have ever dealt with insomnia? Yeah, a persistent inability to be able to fall asleep or stay asleep. There are parasomnias that plague people as well. We always just assume, oh, I have a tough time going to sleep. But a lot of people wake up multiple times a night. They have unrestful sleep. They wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I had a, a, a client years ago who said, oh, you know, I wake up every day. He said, tell me about your sleep patterns. Oh, I wake up every day probably between, probably about 3 and 5 o'clock every morning. I'm like, oh, okay, how long, that's been, how long has that been going on? I want to see a pattern. and Has it been longer than a couple weeks? That's what I'm thinking. And he said, oh, oof, let's see. Okay, so it was uh, that, um, it must have been, he's doing jobs in his head. And he goes, when it's when I started this job here, so it's been 18, 19 years. I said, oh, yeah. No doubt you're suffering, aren't you? He goes, yeah. So let's do something about that. Finally, and again, quickly is this. It's escape. Escape is an alternate to reality. And a lot of people do this. They run into, we talked about this yesterday. It could be sometimes our default. We run. We escape. And, for, and, and don't try to plug in your neighbor and, and figure out that's what they're trying to do. All right? This is kind of self-reported, and a therapist can help you figure out if, if your pathological behavior indeed is an escape, and whatever it is. But this can be drug, alcohol, abuse, pornography, some of these things here. Um, and, and they're just an escape. It's an alternate to reality. More often than not, people go out and they do these things. They're over here, not even because this thing is so terrible. It's because this thing is just not that thing over there. It's just not that thing. I'm, I'm stressed out. I'm done with this over here. I'm just going to go escape, and I'm going to go over here and do this as an alternate to reality, okay? So these are kind of some of the realities of, of where we are, where we wander off in our flesh. Kind of just shake it off with me. It just, it's heavy. It just feels, ugh, but it makes sense. Why? Because no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And, and in a room this size, I bet we could go around and, and we could start hearing stories. And you, yep, yep, that's me. Let me tell you about this season. Let me tell you about this time. Let me tell you how long I've suffered in this area. Here's the good news. Uh, Paul gives an exhaustive uh, declaration in Scripture about all of these things he's talking about, kind of these different areas of, of flesh and struggling even in the church. And he's talking to the church in Corinth and after uh, giving this really exhaustive and discouraging list of kind of sinful, fleshful things, right? He goes on and he says this, And such were some of you. Such were. And he uses a past tense word here. He says, Such were some of you. It was this way. But then you were washed, and then you were sanctified, and then you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. And, and that's, the, that's the good news about what Jesus is doing in us. What Jesus has done for us is that he has offered deliverance for our sin. He's offered deliverance for our struggles. Okay, And don't mishear me that the anxiety and isolation and depression. Don't, don't mishear me that those things are sin. Don't hear that. Amen? 
Okay, but he has offered deliverance for our sin. He's offered deliverance for our struggles. And I love it. It's so beautiful that he is not a high priest who is unfamiliar with our infirmities. He's not a high priest who's unfamiliar because he goes, look, you could pinch me and I had flesh. You could nail me to a cross and I bled and died. I know exactly what your flesh feels like. And it is heavy. And this is why John eleven thirty five, 35, as I talked about yesterday, Jesus wept. He wept. His heart was moved Even though he knew his friend Lazarus was dead, he knew he could just call him forth from the grave with some words. Lazarus, come forth. He knew it wasn't because his friend was dead. He was anguished in his soul. He wept, John 11, 35, because his heart was moved because his friend's hearts were moved. Jesus is not unfamiliar. He has walked this life. He has lived in this flesh. He never sinned. Not one time, of course. He was the spotless lamb of God. But that is something that's so encouraging to me as a struggler in life. As a believer, yes, but just as a struggler who wears flesh. I don't know if you noticed that this morning, but I have skin. I have flesh. Then we all just walk this life together, and I'm encouraged because I can look to our Lord, and we can all look to him today and and look at him and sit seated on the throne, and he's our advocate on our behalf. And we could say, and I'm so encouraged that he is somebody who's, He's, it's not, he's not unfamiliar with our infirmities. He's not unfamiliar with our struggles and, and the things that we, this flesh that we wear that's so heavy. And he says this through his servant Paul, you were this way, but then I washed you, I sanctified you, I cleansed you in my name, by my spirit, things can be different. Can you say amen? So those are kind of the five mental health defaults. Those are the kind of areas we default to. Those are natural byproducts of living in f- flesh. Here's how we can renew our minds. You ready? Turn to your neighbor real quick. Say, the bad news is over. All right. This is good. This is the good news, hopefully. All right. And these are 10. These are quick. These are 10 really quick ways to renew your mind. Number one is this. Focus on the word and prayer. That's it. Focus on the word and prayer. I'm not going to wax eloquent on this. To God be the glory. Two bachelors, two masters, a doctorate. Went through college. I was told by a high school teacher, you know, college isn't for everybody. What are you going to do? And I'm like, I'm going to prove you wrong for the next 12 years of my life. (laughs) And then I came back to my 10-year high school reunion. I was like, I got two bachelor's degrees, two master's degrees, and my doctorate program. And she's like, well, of course you are. You were always so smart. And I'm like, "Mm. (laughs) you got me. (laughs) Spent a lot of money proving you wrong. (laughs) Should have just asked you if you believed in me, you know. <laughs> it went a lot easier than all of that. But I get the question a lot. I don't know for whatever reason, you know, there's an, a, there's an authority that comes with education for some reason, for some people. Some people don't care, like myself. I don't care. But I get people ask me this all What do I do? What do I do, guru? What do I do? Tell me what to do. And I go, I just read the word and pray. Love Jesus, all right? That's it. It's pretty simple. I'll tell you this right out of the gate as a mental health professional, college pastor, college professor, and all that comes with that. Let me say this. If academics so give a person credibility in your mind, maybe that's what it is for you. I get that. I understand that. I, I, okay. And it's, you know, the degrees earned and all that. But let me just say this. There is no education. There's no education that will qualify you. There's no credential that will certify you. No self-evaluation that will elevate you to a place. You cannot find yourself enough or gain enough wisdom in life from your vast accumulation of knowledge or experience. You can't trust in your heart, which the Bible says is wicked and full of deadly poison, all right? You can't trust in yourself, your education, or your truth to endorse you or lead you or give you what it is you need to give life to other people. Because in your flesh, your mind, your heart, they are corrupt. Your heart, the Bible says, deceitful. It is wicked above all things. It's desperately sick and cannot be trusted. But it is Jesus who is truth. Not your college professors, and I've been one for 15 years. And, and this, we should, our default should be to turn to Jesus, turn to his word, study his word, know him, and pray every day. Because nothing can be a substitute for the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing can be a substitute for the healing virtue that is Jesus Christ. His leading, 
his anointing in his spirit. So if you want to lead people to the Lord, if you want to be a strong leader in your family, if you want to be a strong daughter and, and, and leader amongst your, your siblings, if you want to be a, a good son, if you want to be a good father, a grandfather, grandmother, aunt, uncle, single person, if you want to be a strong community leader, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else will be added unto you. Well, I want to go do these things great for the kingdom. So I need to go do all this education. If the Lord has called you to do that, I support you in it. That's awesome. Good. That's good investment. Amen. If the Lord has called you to do it. But let's talk first about your daily disciplines in him. Are you praying every day? Best therapist I've ever known in my life. Bachelor's degree. Best therapist I've ever known in my life. Sarita Dupree, Phoenix, Arizona. She was grandfathered in as a therapist when they started giving mental health licenses out in the 70s. And this woman, can, she could therapize everybody under the table. She was full of the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Amazing therapist. Doctoral level therapists had come to her with problems and seek her wisdom and counsel. And she was just a wealth of knowledge. Amazing woman. She knew the word and she prayed and she studied God. And she just get, and life just teemed out of her. So I want to encourage you. You have a prayer, prayer closet, get in it and get on your knees. Get before Jesus. Amen? Lead your family. So focus on the word and prayer. Number two is this. Celebrate God's design. Celebrate it. Pastor Tommy, I think you heard him say it a little bit this morning as they were talking in that class. How can a fox best be happy or whatnot? That great illustration. It's true. Um, in Scripture, God is said to enjoy Think about this. Love, laugh, take delight, rejoice. The Lord rejoices. But God is also angry, never sin. But he was angry. He was happy. He was jealous, glad. We see all sorts of attributes about God. And I believe that scripture is showing us that emotion is a natural part of God's design. It's a beautiful part of God's design. I just saw a video the other day. of a, It was a little Russian girl. I, I looked it up and said, little Russian girl, and they're playing, and all they just show her sitting there with her friend, and they're showing a movie or something in the background, and she's just watching it. And her face is just, how many saw this? And she just starts crying, <laughs> watching this movie, and real tears. And I, just as a parent, my heart was moved, and I started, oh, that baby, you know? And it was beautiful to watch this little, probably three year old girl, and she's just, just moved. The Lord put that in there. He created that within her. He designed her almost like a little water faucet in the spigot of our lives. He said, I'm going to give you this emotion. You're going to cry. Somebody go, I don't cry. Try it. It's great. Right? <laughs> you just turn on that little spigot. And I, I probably tell you what, my son in the Air Force, now I'm going to need to cry more. Right? There's a little stress that just kind of raises up. And I, I have more thoughts in my head. And I just, my heart's out of my chest running around. But now my heart's in a plane flying around, you know, or whatever, and just doing things in other countries probably we don't know, and she's just a little bit farther away, and I need that, I need that outlet, and the Lord put that in me, and I need to celebrate that design, not shove it down. Oh, we don't do emotion. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're German, we don't do emotion. We're whatnot. I've heard every excuse under the sun. That's not how I was raised. Okay, great. Well, just like you learned to do it that way, you can learn to do it this way. And try that. See where this has led you? See where this will lead you. So we see all this. God has given us these emotions. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So to be Christ-like, I believe, means to express naturally, express emotions. Stay with me. John eleven thirty five 35 reminds us that Jesus wept. It's a beautiful picture of our Savior. So Christian, you are good at the loving and the laughing and the enjoying with one another in, in fellowship and on Sundays and so forth. But let's be honest, when is the last time that you grieved the loss of something, whatever it is? And we have grief all the time. And if you've ever done foster care, ever been involved in trauma-informed, what's called trauma-informed anything, anybody? Trauma, a lot of hands going up. Yeah, if you've ever been involved in any of that, you realize all of the, we can call it baggage for lack of a better term right now, but just kind of all the baggage that you imagine, you know, folks walk around in life with. And sometimes just the natural outlet of just letting it out, let it go. Oh, it almost feels like setting down those heavy weights. 
Because the Lord is, he's almost like our bellhop. He's going, give me the, no, God, give me your bags. Give me your bags. Come on, give me your bags. You're like, no, these are mine to carry. No, no, you leave me alone. I don't want to have to tip you because so. <laughs> and we're running from Jesus. He's chasing us through the hotel going, give me your bags. Give me your bags. And they're more than just bags, right? This is the burden of life and sin and the flesh that we wear and the history that we've had and the abuses, the things that have been done to us, right? And he says, I want to carry those because I care for you. Give me that. And now I just want you to grieve and just rest in my arms and just weep. You and I need to spend some time in grief and loss. Maybe taking inventory of the things that we've lost. You know, I had a friend that came to church for years and then she left and we don't talk that much anymore. That's a loss for you. Right? Had a foster kid and thought we were going to adopt and that's a loss for you. And the kid that state moved her. That's a loss for you. You need to grieve that loss. You can't pretend that it didn't happen. Maybe family members estranged. That's a loss for you. And these are things we need to take inventory of. And the Lord has given us a natural outlet through emotion that we can use. Number three, and these go quick. Embrace your limitations. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. Embrace your limitations, but I can do everything. No, you can't. (laughs) I hope you realize you cannot. It's a beautiful thing to embrace. Wonderful. If you're not there yet, trust me, it's a very freeing thing. If you ask me to, to preach or teach, you typically could give me a topic and I can just go with it. I was in high school and uh, I found out a thing called forensics. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Like drama and stuff like that. And they were just like, yeah, you just go on Saturdays and hang out with your friends and you have to do these little things. And, then, and they had this one called extemporaneous speaking. I'm like, what's that? And they go, they give you a topic. They give you 15 minutes to come up with a speech and then you have to give a speech and they judge you. I'm like, 15 minutes? I could just talk about anything in like two seconds. Just give me a topic and you just, and, uh, and I loved it, right? If you put me in a speaking or teaching or preaching situation, I could typically do okay. And there's some of you today, I know that Pastor Phil or Ty, I could go, uh, ready, go. I could high five him in, he could come in, grab the mic and keep going, right? Let me say amen, you know that. Some of you could do that. Some of you, if I handed you the mic, you'd hit me in the head with it and say, get away from me. You don't want to talk. That's okay. The Lord has gifted you in certain ways. You need to embrace your limitations. You ask me to lead a staff meeting, I'd rather walk on broken glass. Does that sound weird? But you're the pastor. You have to be the CEO. I'm not the CEO. I don't like that kind of stuff. That's just not me. So we have people that are more gifted to do those things. You show me an opportunity to have an extremely awkward conversation with someone and give them really, really awful, hard, heavy, hard-to-hear news, I can do that, right? You task me to have a dream session with a dream team about some big event, I'm going to pretend I have to do something else. I'm going to take a fake phone call and like, I'm going to go run out of the room and let them finish. I'll come back two hours later. Oh, were you guys done? Sorry. (laughs) This is where we come back to Romans 12, where scripture says, we all have different gifts according to the grace given of us. If it's your gift to prophesy, then what? It's prophesy. If it's to serve, then serve, teach, then teach, encourage, then encourage. Nowhere in scripture will you find any instruction to carry someone else's armor, uh, carry someone else's anointing or function in someone else's spiritual gifting. Amen? So you embrace your limitations. Stop trying to duplicate someone else's life. Children, possessions, their kids act that way. You guys need to be more like that, you know? That's, you embrace the limitations the Lord's given you and embrace the gifting the Lord's given you. Number four is to quickly redirect your thoughts. This is a quick one. Everyone, again, has that autonomic kind of psychological functioning that happens. You're constantly vetting everything all the time, and and there's even filters in your mind won't have time to get into, but your brain's very kind to you. Because if you consciously processed everything that came across your visual or audio thresholds, smell, sight, olfactory, all of these, if, it, if you process all of that, you'd go insane. It would drive you insane. And, and some suggest even with the, like an ADHD, the filter is just a little bit less and, and more stimulus gets in. And their brains are like supercomputers that usually can do a lot of stuff, right? Because they can focus on a lot of things and hear a lot of information at the same time. Um, our brain's very kind to us and constantly filters things out because you kind of have these automatic functions in your brains that do this for you, and we're very grateful for that. 
even though you haven't consciously made the assessment, your brain is constantly even vetting for threats. Most guys walk in a room and they go, yeah, I could beat everybody up here, sure. <laughs> and that's an action that's purposeful, but we don't even realize maybe that we've made a threat analysis of people in the room based on previous experience, previous threats, and so forth. Here's the issue. You have a choice as to what you allow your mind to dwell on and think about and what you, uh, you know, allow your brain to not dwell on and think about. This is why the Bible says take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. The, the problem is far too many folks in the kingdom spend far too much time allowing meaningless and even ungodly worry to rent free space in their heads. I'm certainly not suggesting you ignore what's going on around you, but you could kind of apply that five by five rule. Look, if it's not going to matter in five years, we don't spend more than about five minutes worrying about it, thinking about it, occupying our mind with it. So for some of us, the enemy, never, enemy may never kick in the front door of your heart with some egregious sin, but it just kind of keep that door propped open with constant worry, constant thoughts. And we need to remember Isaiah 26. The Bible says he keeps in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because, he tr- because I trust you, Lord. And that's, what, uh, that's really what I focus on when I talk about anti-anxiety with people or diminishing anxiety is, is trust, is trust. Number five is don't be an approval addict. And some of us are worse at this than others, all right? Don't be an approval addict. You don't know that 99% of the time, right, 99.9% of the time, other people aren't thinking about you. Right? But I know it feels like that sometimes. This is an opportunity in our lives for us to apply the principle of Paul's words. In Romans chapter 12, he says, For the grace given to me that I say this to you, listen, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. How is that applicable here? Oh, man, with sober judgment, though, each according to the measure of faith given to him. I'm not, not saying don't hurt when people hurt you, just ignore stuff, kind of walk around whistling by the graveyard of life, don't really care, nothing gets to you. What I'm saying is, For your emotional health and well-being, don't live for the approval of others. We're the teenagers in the room today. And I'm serious when I say this. Don't live for the approval of other people. Mom and dad, yes, and Jesus and your pastors, yes, okay? Listen to them and to the word. But if I could give moms and dads and adults, couldn't you, if you could give a gift to any kid, young kid in the room? And these guys live with a constant bombardment. I mean, they can take a pretty picture in the morning of themselves after doing their hair real nice and pretty, and they'll have 68 comments. Half of them will be nasty in four minutes. What a horrible way to live. I think social media is hot garbage. Say amen. Amen. Yeah, woo. You're preaching now. All right. And it can become an addiction. Their approval. You think of, you do something, you take a picture for the whole world to see. And any opportunity you give for some people to cut you down because of their own fears and insecurities, they're going to cut you right down. Why? Because they're getting cut down at home and they're getting cut down from people around them. And it's like a constant vicious cycle. And sometimes it's okay to have a win or a victory or you look good in the mirror and just go, eh, I'm going to take a picture of it and show the whole world. Just let mom and dad validate you when you walk out the door. And it becomes an addiction. Literally, approval can become an addiction, and that's not okay. Number six, again, very quickly, six, seven is this. Six, have a life. Turn to your neighbor real quick. Say, have a life. Say, get a life. I don't know, but have a life. Allow your identity to be solid in Jesus. Allow your identity to be solid in Jesus, yes, but also find a hobby. If I don't play soccer, Crystal knows this. If I don't play soccer on Tuesday nights, things get a little squirrely for me. All right? I'm just being honest with you. I have to have that. i got to have a good two to three indoor soccer games, sometimes four. If I want to walk the next day, I don't do all four. But I play indoor soccer. I've done it for years um, at a place there in, in Kansas City. And it absolutely is life to me. It has nothing to do with anything except just going with dudes and sweating and yelling and fussing and banging each other under the walls. There's teams there, hundreds of guys that come and play, just blow off steam. And there's sometimes they yell at each other. How many know it's just fun? It's just good, right? And for you, I don't know what it is. Bowling? Canasta? 
I don't even know what that is, but that's a thing. Go, go to a dance class. I don't know. It, can you guys dance here? Okay, all right, that's good, all right. For some folks, that's sin. I don't know, but all right. But have a life. Find a hobby. Find something to do. Number seven is this. Now live a life. Live it. Live that. Let me encourage you with this. Living a life of holiness will diminish the anxiety produced by a life of hypocrisy, sometimes birthed in sin. So Christian, the Bible asks, should you go on sinning? Should you? By no means. No. Cease. Stop, Paul says. By no means. So bring into congruency. You can talk to a therapist about this or psychologist about this later on. You bring into congruency the actual self and, and what we call the ideal self. Who you are, who you want to be. Who you have to be, who you have to pretend to be, and who you really want to be. We bring them into congruency with one another so we're not experiencing what we call in mental health cognitive dissonance or emotional dissonance. How many of you have heard that phrase before? You know what I'm talking about. You bring into congruency those ideas. So you want to live a life of integrity or wholeness, right? Be in everyday life what you claim to be around Christian friends. That's one aspect of it. Live your life with consistency, the consistency that's necessary so that you don't have to go to church on Sunday and play Christian. All right? This is helpful. Number eight is this. You identify the source. Identify the source. These last three are quick, and the pastor is going to come. Identify the source of self-focused and self-defeating thoughts. If you go talk to a therapist, I talked this, about this a little bit yesterday. Um, it is a little bit like trying on shoes. And so if you put on one pair of shoes, how many have ever tried on one pair of shoes in your whole life? Anybody? Uh, nope. Okay. But I, from time to time, meet people who have only been to one therapist one time, didn't like it, have never went back. And it's a little bit like trying on shoes. Sometimes you look at those Ugg boots and you go, mm. I need those in my life. So you go in and you buy them, you slip them on and go, ugh, I don't like these. Right? But then, you, you know, the, the, the $20 waffle stomper, you know, brown leather boots with the red shoestrings from Walmart, you put those on and you're like, how are these the most comfortable shoes on earth? They're $12. And sometimes that's what happens, right? And that's just like therapy. You know, you can go and you can talk to somebody and go, mm, that doesn't fit. And I say that to clients all the time. I say, sometimes I don't fit people. That's okay. And I'll be so happy and so glad and so supportive to help you find someone that can give you the best care. And really, any therapist that you talk to, they're trained to say that and do that and to help you because that process is not about them. It's not about me. It's about you. It's about what you need and you getting the best care you can. So if you've ever tried on a pair of shoes before and you didn't like them, try on another pair. Okay? And maybe it's a, a twice, you know, twice bit, I don't know, you tr try on a third pair. Find somebody that, that found a pair that fit really well and try them on, all right? So we help to identify the source of self-defeating thoughts in therapy. Often, I come from a school, and a lot of folks do come from the school of what's called cognitive behavioral therapy. And it falls right in line with Romans 12. Don't be conformed to patterns. Be transformed by renewing your minds. Amen? And so just like you, I've had periods in my life of, of mental oppression that seems almost physical, a heaviness, accompanied by self-defeating thoughts. Most of the time I realize I'm engaged in spiritual battle, most of the time. But I can't immediately free myself, so I pray, I confess, I seek the Lord, I read the word, I pray some more, and eventually my mind, it becomes unencumbered because it, it, it isn't because I, I thought positively enough, right, or, or I talked myself out of it. That might, you could maybe temporarily make a slight change through that, but it won't root out the problem. The problem is rooted out when we know who the enemy is, but we also know the one who defeated the enemy and so we focus our minds on him the way that we think becomes calibrated with God and his way of, of thinking about things and so I recognize the enemy and I fight him with God's power with scripture with truth leads me to number nine discipline your mind so after praying then so discipline mind I'm praying I'm protecting my mind I'm recognizing who the enemy is even if it's a person at work who's lied about or cheated or something, the enemy is not them. The enemy is the one who is accuser of the brethren. I get to answer the question, who is allowed to occupy space in my mind? Who gets to do that? 
right? Because focusing on the Lord, can, it can be hard work. And, and so we have to take purposeful action in our minds to set our minds on Jesus Christ. But if you don't, you'll allow your mind to go anywhere it wants to go. And in times of anxiety and depression and stress and isolation, all these things, my mind's like a toddler, and it can wander off to places it should not go, all right? So we want to keep it in check. We all know that that's typically not a good place our minds wander off to. So I know my limitations, and we should know ours. Being fully convinced of the love of God and his care and his patience, his goodness, I still have to decide. It's a purposeful choice in me. It's not my wife. It's not anything else. What I will, but what I will not allow my mind to think about. What I will occupy my mind with and, with, and what I will not occupy my mind with. Three scriptures and we're done today. Colossians 3 says this. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on these things that are above, not on things on the earth. Romans chapter 8 says, Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if it is excellent, if there's anything that's worthy of praise, think about or dwell on those things. Amen? It's the heaviness of our flesh that leads us to dwell on the other things. Number 10, and I'll pray and we'll be done today, is this. Simply relax. Aaron Rodgers a few years ago got made fun of all over social media when the Green Bay Packers uh, record wasn't looking as good as it could have. And he gave a press conference afterward, right? How many remember that? Because it turned into a meme. What did he say? He said, listen, R-E-L-A-X. Just like that. Look it up. He goes, relax. And everybody was, oh, they're all up in arms. And he goes, it's going to be okay. All right? We're going to be okay. And in his mind, he's probably like, you have no idea what you guys are asking or talking or worried about. We have a game plan. It's going to be okay. And I just want to encourage you, encourage people. I try to do this at the end of therapy often. I go, let's just take a minute to take a deep breath. It's been a heavy morning. It's a lot of information. Would you just take a deep breath with me today? Why can we relax? We can rest in the arms of Jesus. Aren't you grateful for that? Your kids aren't perfect. Your marriage isn't perfect. Your life isn't perfect. Nobody here was raised in the perfect family. Your finances are getting squirrely from time to time. Right? It's going to be okay. Church isn't perfect. Pastors aren't perfect. We need to stop looking for perfection and calling it excellence. Just trying to live an excellence life. Just relax. Embrace imperfections. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Jesus has done enough for us. You need to stop going around trying to fix every problem. Worrying yourself about everything under the sun. Just take a deep breath. And rest in the arms of Jesus. Amen. Would you pray with me this morning? Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for your truth today. It's hard to hear these kind of these first five mental health defaults. They can be heavy, but they're so evident in, in folks' lives, Lord. And, and I just pray in the name of Jesus that you'd help us. Would you bring just a supernatural release and relief to us today, Jesus? And Father, as we've turned our hearts away from those five, we studied them, we saw them, we examine them, Lord, and take an inventory. I pray that we would then turn our hearts toward things that can help us to renew our minds to be more like Jesus. We thank you for that, Lord. Help us today, Father, each and every one. If there's somebody in this room this morning still suffering, Father, I pray that they would just simply take a deep breath, relax in the arms of Jesus, and find rest in you knowing that we're going to struggle a little bit from time to time in this flesh as we still live on this earth under this curse, but we live 
with the hope and freedom that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you that he whom the Son sets free is free indeed, holy, fully, and completely free. And, Lord, I pray that as pastor comes and closes, Lord, we would walk in that freedom in Jesus' name. Would you help us this morning, Lord? Till I meet these friends again, would you bless them and keep them? In Jesus' mighty name, amen.